Welcome to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We're glad to have you back again this week as we continue our journey through the subject of managing for the master till he comes. This week is lesson number seven, unto the least of these. Unto the least of these, a fascinating subject. You're going to enjoy it. Our guest this week, as every week this quarter, is Ed Reed. He is an ordained minister and a licensed attorney and we're delighted to have him back again. Before we dive into this uh, particular lesson, we're going to ask God would bless our time together today. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for being with us and for promising to guide us as we study your word. As we look at finances and how they intersect with faith again this week, we ask that you'll help us to gain a deeper understanding, not just of finances, but of you and your plan for our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ed, thanks for joining us again this week. It's a pleasure to be here. I want to start by reading the memory text, as we often do here. Uh, There's there's a reason that God has impressed you to, to place this memory text here at the beginning of this week's lesson. And it is from Matthew chapter 25, verse number 34. Here's what it says. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This week we are studying about the least of these. Who is Jesus referring to and and why are they considered the least of these? It's interesting that the Bible has Old Testament and New Testament, very vivid concern for the poor. It's interesting also that the the Lord says we'll always have the poor with us. and That's sad if you're a poor person, but there's things you can do about it when we talk about getting out of debt and so on. But what I want to share with you is that in this particular case it says... This is Matthew 25, verse 40. Jesus referred to the least of these, my brethren, that he wants us to take care of. So who are the least of these, my brethren? That's the question you're asking. The Bible speaks sometimes of strangers, sometimes called aliens, the fatherless, the widows, this group of people who are referred to as the least of these, my brethren. We can, can we identify these kind of people today? It's very, very interesting. We live in a very hostile world, as you know. I remember just a few years ago where there was a civil war in, in uh, Syria, and over 4 million people left Syria. Listen carefully now. On foot, carrying all they could carry. You've seen big caravans of people walking, carrying what they could carry. How much, you know, we, we talk about wagging our luggage into the airport sometimes, but what if you had to carry it several miles or many miles or several days? How much would you take along with you? And this is the, these are these people that are displaced, sometimes called uh, aliens. The equivalent of our day would be for re- these millions of refugees the fatherless children that have lost their fathers by war, by accidents, by sickness. This group could also include those fathers who have been, are in prison or are otherwise absent. A broad field of help that we can offer to people. Thank God there are many ministries who do these kinds of things, but we can help them and we can individually help for those that we know about. The widows, of course, are those who have lost their spouses for the same reason in our, as the fatherless. Many of these are single parent families that could use help from church members, help from uh, fathers of other families to uh, encourage the children and so on. So this week we're going to talk about Jesus' concern for the poor. And speaking of Jesus' concern for the poor, that really is Sunday's lesson, or the title of Sunday's lesson, the subject of Sunday's lesson, is Jesus' perspective on the poor. We know Jesus was concerned for the poor. How did he demonstrate that? He didn't just speak those words, but he lived it, didn't he? He did indeed. He did both, Eric. That's the interesting thing. That's, he practiced what he preaches. The story that we first start out with in this one is that when Jesus first visited Nazareth, 
Interestingly enough, when you read the Bible, you find that during Jesus' three-and-a-half-year ministry, he visited his hometown, Nazareth, twice. And the people tried to kill him both times. So that's why he said a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. But on one of these occasions when he visited Nazareth, they asked him to read the scripture reading. They handed him the book of Isaiah. And uh, this is in Luke, the fourth chapter. And it's interestingly interesting what he, he said there. He, he, he found the place in Isaiah 61, I believe, where, where he talked about this. Very interesting. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are bruised. Preach the acceptable year of the Lord. It's interesting that uh, many people misunderstood Jesus' first coming. They thought he was going to free them from the Romans and make the, Jerusalem the center of the world and be one of the world empires. So they were disappointed when he talked about being, helping the poor. And it's also interesting that when Jesus was calling his disciples, they said, where are you living? And they wanted to know where his home was. They thought it might be a mansion, but instead he was probably just a poor person living with them. Usually the poor were looked down upon in Jesus' day by the unscrupulous officials such as tax collectors and those in business, even their own neighbors. And it was commonly thought that poverty was a curse and uh, that God in, his unfortunate, in this unfortunate condition must have had their own fault, these people, with their mindset that few people had any concern for the poor and their, their, their unhappy plight. So that's why James says in James, the first chapter, verse 27, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So we see that Jesus had a concern for the poor. He spoke that, he verbalized it, but he also put it into action. One of the beautiful truths of Scripture is that Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So right. if, if Jesus cared for the poor and continues to care for the poor, we can expect that the Father does as well. What are some, what are some ways that God has, has promised to provide for, to care for the poor, to minister to the poor? How, how do we see that played out? Well, the Bible answers that question very plainly. It's interesting that uh, in Exodus 23, right after giving the Ten Commandments, verses 10 and 11, God said, Six years you shall sow your field, your land, and gather your produce, but in the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor and your people may eat what they leave. The beasts of the field can eat, and also in like manner do you to your vineyards and your olive groves. Leviticus 23 also talks about that. When you reap your harvest in your land, don't make a clean riddance of all these. Don't reap in your corners and cleaning make your harvest, you know, really thorough, go over everything. Don't do that. Leave some for the poor. And they were told in Deuteronomy, the 15th chapter, verse 11, this is right again before going into the promised land. For the poor shall never cease out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thy hand wide to thy brother, to the poor, and to the needy in thy land, when you get to the land. So God always made provision for the poor. It was really interesting also that the uh, Ruth the Moabitess that came home with Naomi, she was gleaning in fields uh, that were owned by Boaz, as you may remember. And he told his men, don't, don't get all the stuff that leaves some for these people that are poor. So that, that was part of the, the command that God had given. So God had several ways that he provided for the poor, or attempted to provide for the poor. Of course, his people would, would have to follow his counsel in order for the poor to benefit from those things. But God, God arranged it, God, uh, God laid it out and made that possible. It's interesting, as we get to Tuesday's lesson, Tuesday's lesson is called The Rich Young Ruler. And uh, as you pointed out, all three synoptic gospels refer to Jesus' interaction, his encounter with this rich young ruler. Why is this story so important? What lessons can we learn? What lessons should we learn from this story, seeing as how it's, it's in 
all three of those Gospels, it, it's, it's not something that's overlooked. It's clearly something that is, is meant to be lifted up as an example. Well, interestingly enough, God's trying to tell us here that when God, when he blesses you with more than you need, you shouldn't think of storing it up and using it for yourself. And uh, when, when he encountered Jesus, several interesting things. The Bible says in one of these that he came running to Jesus. He, he was an energetic young man. There's no indication that he had been dishonest in his gain of getting his property or anything. But he, just, he had been blessed tremendously for it, but he was thinking about more about it than his eternal life. So Jesus told him something interesting. He says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and deliver to the poor. It's interesting that the several verses in the Bible, like Proverbs, he who gives to the poor will lack nothing. That's is Proverbs 28, verse 27. The king with judges and the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever. That's Proverbs 29 and verse 14. Psalm 41, I like this one, verse 1. David noted, Blessed is he who considers the poor, the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. This always is a priority in ancient Israel, and it should be to ourselves today as well. So this young man interacts with Jesus. Jesus gives him some counsel. He gives him some direction. He, he calls him to take some, some practical, tangible steps in helping to provide for the poor. And we don't see that this man responds to that positively. What do we see happening? It's really interesting, Eric, that when we look at this story, it indicates that Jesus had a kind regard for this young man. He was really hoping that he would be responsive to his counsel. And he told, him, he told him to do several things. When he came, what should I do? He asked the question, what good thing could I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what, what, why do you call me good? If you want to inherit eternal life, keep the commandments. And he said, well, which ones? So Jesus, Jesus started quoting the Ten Commandments. And he said, well, you can stop now. I've been doing that since I was a kid. What do I still lack? And God told him, Jesus told him, sell what you have and give to the poor. And then this is very interesting. Come follow me. Those were the exact words, come follow me, that he told to all of his, the 12 disciples. He was inviting him into the inner circle of his, his work on earth, and if he would just do this one thing. Now, it's interesting that God doesn't ask us all to sell everything we have and give to the poor. That wasn't the whole point, but this man's God was his money, and he knew that was the only thing he could tell him to do that would really turn him around and save his soul. I remember as a young person studying the Bible through the first or second time, I came to such conviction about the truth of Scripture that I said, God, you have my permission to do whatever it takes to save me. Did you hear what I just said? You have my permission to do whatever it takes to save me. Then I added, please help me learn my lessons the easy way. So what I wanted to tell you is, if God tells you to do something, it's for your own benefit that you do it. Because it's interestingly enough that young men went away sorrowful. Why was he sorrowful? Because he knew he was making an eternal decision. We never hear from this man again. He traded his earthly possessions for eternity, and that is a bad decision. So trading things that today are and tomorrow will be cast into the oven for something that will last throughout eternity is a poor trade, and it's not something that you want to do. By the grace of God, he gives us the opportunities to make decisions, to make choices every single day in our lives. And part of those choices, part of those choices are the choices that we make with our finances. We can either use those finances to help relieve the troubles, the challenges of the poor, to help spread the gospel, to take care of our needs, or we can spend them frivolously. And one day we will, have, uh, we will be given the opportunity to give an account for what we have done with every area of our lives, including our finances. And by the grace of God, we will be able to say, Lord, here's what I did with those finances that you entrusted to me, that you allowed me to manage and I've used them faithfully 
to help others to spread the gospel and to take care of the needs of my family. If you are finding this particular quarter's lessons insightful and helpful, I want to encourage you to pick up a copy of this quarter's lessons uh, complementary or supplementary material. It is this book entitled Managing for the Master by G. Edward Reed. He, of course, is our guest this quarter as we look at the Sabbath School lesson. This particular book is a phenomenal supplement to what you are studying in the quarterly. It will give you additional insights, deeper insights, more stories, and more evidence of how God is at work in finances, in your finances, and in the finances of people all around the world as they seek to help spread the gospel far and wide. You can find that at itiswritten.shop. Again, itiswritten.shop. Just look for the title. That is Managing for the Master, and you will be blessed if you pick up that book. We'll be back in just a moment as we continue our study now, looking at the least of these. We'll be back in just a moment. It has been celebrated in song, in poetry, in art. Civilizations have worshipped gods dedicated to, and it's been said wars have been waged over love. The Bible says that God is love, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Love led God to free His people from captivity. Love led Jesus to open the eyes of the blind, to forgive sinners, and to heal the sick. So what was it then that led God to destroy the earth with a flood or to command King Saul to destroy an entire people group? Don't miss Love and Destruction as we discuss love and take a close look at the love of God. Love and Destruction Brought to you by It Is Written TV. More and more people are watching It Is Written TV. They're watching their favorite It Is Written programs, listening to inspiring sermon series, and much more. They're watching them here, here, and even here. See for yourself why people are turning to It Is Written TV to watch their favorite Christian programs live and on demand. Watch It Is Written TV for free anytime on Roku, Apple TV, and at itiswritten.tv. Welcome back to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We are continuing our study of lesson number seven, Unto the Least of These, and we're moving through very rapidly. We are on Wednesday's lesson right now, looking at the subject or the person of Zacchaeus. Uh, Ed, who was Zacchaeus? What can we learn from him? It's a, it's a story that some of us know, well, at the very least, as a children's song. But what's the main lesson that God wants us to learn from the story of Zacchaeus? What did he do wrong and what did he do right? Well, it's an interesting story. Uh, it's actually the 19th chapter of Luke, the first 10 verses to talk about Zacchaeus. And I like to know that Jesus, you know, he went out and prayed a lot early in the morning. And I think he asked for guidance. I'll tell you why I think that, because I think the Father and the Holy Spirit told him, today when you go through Jericho, you're going to encounter a man up a tree, and his name is Zacchaeus. He's, he needs to sit, talk with you and go home with him. So when Jesus came to, to uh, Jericho, walking through, Zacchaeus had closed his office. My guess, he was a, he was a publican, so he was either a CPA or an attorney. 
And he, he closed his office, he'll be back in two hours, the little clock on his door, and he ran off to the city, to, to the main street through town. But when he got there, you can understand what happened. The crowd was already there, and he couldn't get see. And said, Please give way, I'm a short man. And they said, well, you should have thought about that yesterday. We've been wait, waiting for a long time. So he ran ahead and climbed up in a tree. So if you can imagine a man in his business suit climbing up a tree, this is incredible. Little kids do that, but not big men. So he was, he's sitting up in the tree just to get, all he wanted to do was see Jesus. That was the incredible thing. I want to see this man. So when Jesus came through, a miracle happened, remembering what the Father and the Holy Spirit had told him. This must be Zacchaeus. So he said, Zacchaeus, come down. And then Jesus did something that uh, none of us would ever do. He invited himself home for lunch. This is incredible to me because I've never invited myself home to anybody's place for lunch, and I don't think anybody's ever invited themselves to our place for lunch without an invitation. But interestingly enough, when you invite Jesus, you get 12 hungry men that, that don't get regular meals coming with you. So it's 13 people coming for lunch. But Zacchaeus was a wealthy man, so he could take care of that. So he, called, he must have sent word ahead to his wife or his servants and said, I'm bringing 13 men for dinner. The interesting thing about this is that he was a wealthy man. He was a publican. He worked for the hated Romans, collecting taxes from the Jews. But interestingly enough, the difference between this man and, and Zacchaeus is that, listen carefully, one encounter with Jesus, one encounter with Jesus this time at his home, after Jesus talked to him, he said, half of my goods I'm going to give to the poor, and if I've taken anything by illegal means, I'm going to give it back fourfold. Just one encounter with Jesus. Jesus then said to him, today salvation has come to your house. Well, this is amazing. There's probably not a person on earth wouldn't, wouldn't give most anything to say, have Jesus say that at their house. Today salvation has come to your house. That was the end story with him. So instead of running away from the request of Jesus to help the poor, he volunteered that. And that, that was, that's why Jesus told him salvation had come to his house. So it sounds like Zacchaeus, his encounter with Jesus changed not just his, his financial position, ultimately, but it, it sounds like it changed his heart. And the change in the heart was what prompted some of those things. Would that be accurate? Yes. The, the real interesting part about Zacchaeus is that he had a whole title time change in his life uh, life focus changed completely. Rather than thinking of himself, he thought of others. And this is amazing. That's the character of Christ. And somehow, what he'd heard about Jesus was more than true. So when Jesus talked to him, he was ready to make the decision. So that brief encounter made all the difference in, uh, in Zacchaeus' life. And ultimately, you can expect that it made a huge difference in the lives of others when he started giving of many of the means that he had to help the poor and, and those he defrauded and, and so forth. So a beautiful story of, uh, of how Jesus touched the life of one individual, and through that individual, the lives of many others were no doubt changed. Uh, Ed, I want to jump to Thursday now. Thursday is called Consider the Man Job. Now, there's a, there's a whole book of the Bible that's called the book of Job, uh, which deals with, with this story. And there's a lot in that book. It's sometimes a book that, uh, that people overlook. Some, some might consider it a discouraging book. I don't think that's the case when you, when you see how it all ends. But what do we learn about the poor when it comes to the story of Job? Well, Job is an interesting character because the Bible, called, the Lord described him as perfect and blameless. That he was one who cared for people and he... We know that when his, his kids got together, he would pray for them, that they would do everything right and so on. This is a most interesting story because we know what, why he was being persecuted, why he lost his, his wealth and his children and, and, and his livestock and so on. 
but he didn't know it till many, you know, I don't know how long that lasted, but several weeks or months later, we figured out what was going on. But the, the main thing is he described himself as one who helped the poor. In his own words, he says in Job twenty nine sixteen, and I searched out the case that I did not know about the poor. He's tried to help people. He, he looked and said, is everything going okay for you? He would ask people how they're doing and what's the situation? Do you know anybody that needs prayer? Do you know anybody that needs assistance of anyone like that? So Job was somebody who looked out for others. He, he opened the door to assist them and, uh, and encouraged, it sounds like through his example, others to help the poor as well. Would that be fair? Yes, indeed. And this is interesting, uh, Eric, because this is a level of stewardship beyond which most of us even think. And we think it's a big deal that we just are faithful with our tithe and offerings, but this is something about helping others. And, and I think this is incredible about it. So an entire book of the Bible about the man named Job and, and an individual who cared for the poor, uh, encouraging to see. On Friday, Ed, I want to read a statement here and give you an opportunity to respond to it. This statement is from the book called The Desire of Ages. It's found on page 637. Here's what the statement says. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another. Thus Christ on the Mount of Olives pictured to his disciples the scene of the great judgment day, and he represented its decision as turning upon one point. When the nations are gathered before him, there will be but two classes, and their eternal destiny will be determined by what they have done or have neglected to do for him in the person of the poor and the suffering. So it's good to know your Bible. It's good to be theologically correct. It's good to go to church. It's good to return tithe and offerings. It's good to pray and sing and so forth. But this statement, this statement's pretty, well, it's pretty straight. Uh, talk to us a little bit about this statement, Ed. Well, I included this statement in the lesson and the quarterly and the book as well because it's, it's the most terse statement on uh, character development, showing of character. If we're willing to help others, our character is more like Christ. If we're, if we're selfish, it's still like, more like Satan. So what we're talking about here is being able to determine our, our relationship to the poor helps God to know whether we're safe to save for eternity. Not that we're going to encounter poor people in heaven. We probably won't, but the, the big bottom line is that uh, it illustrates that we've been transformed from selfishness to love and we're ready for translation to his kingdom. So clearly helping out the poor in practical ways is, is part of a Christian walk. I know for, for my family, we do that in several ways and it's been a blessing to us and a blessing to our children. Uh, often when we're, when we're driving from point A to point B, we'll pass someone who's standing by the side of the road with a little cardboard sign or something like that uh, asking for, well, anything. And we've been hesitant in the past to give money because you're never quite sure what the money's going to go to. But something that we have done that's been a blessing to us and been a blessing to many people is to carry little bags of food, a, a brown paper bag with a, a bottle of water and maybe a, a fruit juice and some granola bars and things like that, and to give those to people so that they can have something to eat and, and to share with others as well. Uh, we also regularly will, we have a, a ministry for the homeless in our church uh, that feeds the, feeds the homeless downtown once a month. We'll take them sometimes backpacks with, uh, filled with necessities. What are some other things that either an individual or a church entity might be able to do to minister to the poor, Ed? 
Well, that's a very good question and a good practice, and I commend you for that. Our local church where we attend has what we call a blessing box that's put out right by the road near our church, and people bring stuff to the church to put in the blessing box, non-perishable food items generally, some, some uh, toiletry items as well sometimes. But the people in the community who are of need stop by, and there's a little sign that says, give what you can, take what you need. And there's no charge for anything like that. So several of our churches in the area have blessing boxes that the people in the community know about. They can come by and get something if they need it and uh, share it with others or bring something that they'd like to share. In fact, some of our, the neighbors of our church help us to furnish the, the blessing box. But there's many things we can do. We have the fourth Sabbath of each month our, in our church. We have the, called something else Sabbath School where we have a, a charity or a ministry in our local town that, that uh, we can support with uh, clothes items in winter and food items in, uh, throughout the year and uh, things for kids when they start back to school and so on. So there's always something that you can do. We always, kids enjoy going back to school and, and buying new pencils and notebooks and erasers and all those things. And many of them can't afford to get what they would like to get, but if we can provide help for them, I'm sure they're, they're very thankful for it. And God will bless us as a result as well. Uh, he does, most certainly. And, and through our example, our children are being influenced as well. I, I know for our kids, when we carry those, those paper bags filled with food, lunch bags filled with food around in our car, our kids will keep an eye out for people that we can give them to. And, and sometimes we have to drive around the block in order to be able to make that delivery to somebody. But it's great for the kids to be saying, we want to minister to these individuals as well. I think it, it, it starts a, a spirit of giving and selflessness from a young age. And I want to read one more statement here from 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19, and give you just a moment to comment on it. Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Some quick thoughts on that. Well, it's interesting. What this talks about is that instead of trusting in our riches and what we've saved up, we trust in God to take care of us. We'll have more time this quarter to talk about that as well, but I would just suggest that our first trust should be in God because he takes care of us. We know that. We can thank him for it. We can give him praise and honor. But people pray for help, and we can be an answer to people's prayers, Eric. I think that's a, a blessing to know in, in your heart that whatever we do to help people, we're answering their, God's, their prayers to God on their behalf. So we're God's hands and God's feet on this earth to minister as he did. Most of Jesus' ministry was to common people, and he helped them feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000 and uh, healing the sick and so on. So anything we can do to help people physically, mentally, or spiritually is a blessing to them and to us. And I'm also saying that the values that your children are learning when you do things with them are incredible. Character development, passing on values more than money is really an asset, I would think. Uh, I would agree with you wholeheartedly, Ed. This week we've taken a look at the least of these, how God desires to care for the poor and how he desires to use us to help him in caring for the poor. And through doing that, we are helped as well. Ultimately, God wants all to be saved. We just have to develop that character of Christ and accept his way of life rather than our own in order to benefit from that. God bless you. Thank you once again for joining us this week on Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written, and we will see you again next week. Take care.